I think many of you make it a, a habit, I hope, or discipline to pray uh, for those who are in law enforcement and different things. Uh, one, uh, one of the people that uh, have become uh, pretty much routine when it comes to our services, our gatherings, uh, is Paul Wilkins. Paul, I hate to put you on the spot, but Paul serves as a highway patrolman in South Carolina. And uh, while he was on a routine stop, a car actually hit him. And uh, he is recovering, and it, uh, he's convinced it's prayer that is the reason he's here today. And, uh, and so, Paul, we just want to let you know. Paul, would you stand up, and let's, let's just thank Paul for his service. Thank you. I mean, we, I think sometimes we don't realize really what, who's putting their life on the line for sometimes. And it's definitely our law enforcement and our military, of course. And uh, this is a perfect example of why we need to pray for them. And so um, we're glad you're here with us today, Paul. All right. Uh, let, let me remind you next Sunday to be here next Sunday. We have a special time together next Sunday. I hope you'll be here. It's going to be a little different. Uh, so when you get here, don't panic or anything. Just show up next Sunday. And uh, I think it'll be a great time as we continue to look at a new series we're beginning today called Fixer Upper. Now, it seems like every other channel on the dial is renovating houses. How many of you have noticed that? I mean, it's like everywhere you turn, it's like, we're going to flip this house, we're going to fix this house, we're going to tear this house down, I don't know. Anyway, it goes on and on and on. Well, we've decided to, to take the whole idea, the whole topic, and we want to apply it to renovating relationships. And no, there's no better way to start this than our relationship with God. So I want to ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6. Now, True intimacy with God can only be achieved through prayer and interaction with his word. Now, we can only love him when we know him. There's so many people out there in our world today who talk about God and how he's loved and how much they love God. And, and it doesn't take you long when they begin to express their faith that you find out based on what you know about God's word and who he is, that they don't know the same God you know. How many of you have ever seen that? And, and it's very obvious. And, and sometimes it's disappointing because we love to see people in the same camp with us when it comes to our love for our Savior. But many times they're not talking about the same God. And so really to truly know God, or excuse me, to love God, you've got to know God. And the way we know God is through his word and through prayer. Therefore, we need to make these, both of these things a discipline in our life if we're truly going to know him. Now, one of our cultural values here in our church is scripture and prayer are prime. Right after Jesus is our lead story, scripture and prayer are prime. That means we hold those things to be utmost. When we pray, we are agreeing with the Holy Spirit of our desperate need for his presence. And we are asking for his transforming power to consume and, and move in us both per, personally and corporately. Ultimately, we believe the purpose of prayer is to align ourselves with his will, his ways, and his word. That is the goal. So if you say, well, what is prayer? Is it about blessing the meal? Yeah, that, that may be a part of prayer. Is it, this? is it vain repetition? Is it just saying words? No. There's something about prayer that has to move towards the direction of intimacy with the Father. So the question then becomes, how are we to pray? 
You know, it's very interesting when you, when you begin to study Jesus with his disciples and you begin to see that interaction that they had with one another. Do you know that there's one thing that the disciples ask of Jesus that, that really, because they saw him do it regularly and they saw him do it, that they were curious about? Do you know what that one thing they asked him about was prayer? How do we pray? You, you know what I think they were really asking? Jesus, how, how do we pray like you? How can that become so important? It's so important to you. God, we, Jesus, we want it to be important to us. And so in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus told the masses how to pray. You say, well, what's the Sermon on the Mount? It's the greatest message I believe ever preached. Jesus preached the message in Matthew chapter five, starting with chapter five, all the way to verse seven. If you want to read it, it's a, it's a great message. Matter of fact, uh, he probably spoke most of that day, but we have about 25 minutes of the key points of what he preached on that day. And right there in the middle of it, he tells us how to pray, how to pray. So look on your outline, look at the introduction. We are to pray, number one, secretly, secretly. Jesus said in Matthew chapter six, verse five, he says, and when you pray, now when he says, and when you pray, what does that seem to imply? We are to pray. <laughs> he says, and when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. Now, now, how many of you are like, man, boy, he's coming out of the gate, boy. I tell you, he's, he's getting them. But he is, he's targeting those because, and here's why he did that. Because it was those, the hypocrites, which really were the Pharisees of the day, it was those that people were taking their cues from when it came to praying. And so what was happening is the people who would have been the most respected, the people who would have been seen as those who were more intimate with God than they are, would have been the Pharisees, the hypocrites he's talking about. And he's basically saying, yeah, they're out there. They're just kind of showing off and prayer. He's like, don't be like that. Don't, don't go that route. They're totally missing it. Now, now, here's what you gotta understand. A lot of people sitting there listening to him would have been taken back by that. Some of them could have been them themselves he's talking about. The others could have been those who had a high regard for these people. And Jesus is basically saying, don't take your cues when it comes to prayer from these people. They have it totally, they've totally missed it. He says, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Now, can you imagine if you were one of those and you're standing there? Ouch, that would have been painful. But what about those who are sitting there and say, well, wait a second. Now, this is, this is someone who teaches. This is, you, you, you had a high regard for that person and Jesus is coming out of the gate. He's saying, don't do that. They're totally missing it. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. What they're seeking, they're getting because they're there showing off and they want that prestige. They want you to look at them like, like that. He's literally calling them out. He says in verse six, but you, when you pray, he's saying, here's the correct way to pray. Go into your room and when you have shut your door, Pray to your father who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So let's break that down. What is he talking about? He says, when you shut the door, he's basically saying, when you get alone, when, when you're free of distraction and you're there and you can focus your attention on just, just you and God, that's what he's seeking. 
He says, pray to your father. Make the investment in the relationship with your heavenly father that you ought to. Do you realize that no relationship that we have is, is what it all can be unless we're making the proper investments in that relationship? You say, you, you mean to tell me it's not just love? Yeah, love, but it's born out of the investments that we make. That's the reason we believe in having uh, uh, marriage conferences and those type things is because we need to learn. We need to make the proper investments in those relationships to make them work, to make them be all that they can be. The same thing goes with our Lord and Savior. We need to know. We need to make those investments. It's those who discipline themselves, who do go into those secret places, who do desire to have intimacy with the Father. That's the ones that Jesus is talking about here. That's what he's talking about when it comes to not like the hypocrites, but here's what the Father desires. He says, pray to the Father. Make that investment. Who is in the secret place? You know what it literally means? It means that's where you'll meet him. That'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? That's where you're going to meet him. That's where he shows up. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. He's basically saying, when you pray like I'm instructing you to pray, you're going to, you're going to see and reap the benefits of intimacy with the Father. That's exactly what he's saying. He's saying those hypocrites, those people that you hold up, those people that you look to to model prayer for you, they're totally missing it. And their only reward they're going to get is just the prestige that you're giving them. Boy, if you really want to meet with God, this is how you're going to do it. So, so next we look, how, how are we to pray? Well, not only secretly, but also sincerely. In Matthew chapter six, verse seven, Jesus said, and when you pray, there it is again, do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do. Now, how many of you reading that just kind of blows your mind? Hey, hey, and please understand, I'm just trying to, point something out. I'm not trying to attack anyone. I don't mean to be disrespectful, but saying and chanting the same words over and over again that really have no meaning, you're just going through the motions. That's what he's talking about here. He says, don't do those things. And yet many places of worship, I'm just, I've been in them. That's what, it, that's, that's the model they give you. And he's saying, don't do that. That means absolutely nothing. It doesn't mean anything. He, he, he's very careful. He says, when you pray, do not use vain repetition as the heathens do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. The word many there can be fancy words. It can mean, uh, how, many of you, uh, how many of you, oh, thou great father in, in heaven who is there and all, it may... You really have to be careful because you know something, you know one thing God desires most of us, from us, is, is some, something that's real, something that's transparent. He wants intimacy with us. I am to talk to him like I would talk to anyone else. And, and, and now I need to acknowledge him a little differently than I acknowledge you. 
But I'm talking to the Father. He wants that kind of relationship. Meaning that what you say and not meaningless repetition, pray scripturally. We're talking about a loving Father. Be real, be transparent. When you go to the Psalms, and we're gonna look at some of these in just a moment. David writes two thirds of those Psalms. You know what they could easily be? His prayer life written out. And he's just going at God. There's times he's saying, God, I don't understand. God, I don't think this is fair. God, I'm struggling with this. Oh, God, forgive me. Oh, I have totally messed up. That's heart praying right there. That's what he's desiring. How, do you, how are we to pray secretly, sincerely, specifically? Matthew chapter six, Jesus said, therefore, in light of this, in light of what you're not supposed to do, do not be like them. Don't be like those hypocrites. He's referring back to verse five. For your father knows the things you have need of before you ask of them. Now, how many of you would read that and say, well, then what's the point in praying? Have you ever, have you ever, have you ever asked that question after you've read it? Well, let me say this. The reason I think Jesus puts that in there is because he's basically saying, there's more to your prayer life than a list of asking God for something. God is not, yeah, he wants to hear our requests. He says, bring those requests to him. But you know what he's really after? The intimacy. He, he knows everything you're going to say. He wants that intimacy. He desires that from us. You see, I think for many Christians, that is foreign to them. I think many Christians believe that their prayer life is, is something that they basically do when they pray before their meal, uh, just before they go to bed, they, they, they acknowledge God. And please understand, I'm not making fun of that. That was a big part of my prayer life for many years of my life. So I've been there. I know exactly what you're talking about. But there's something different that Jesus is talking about here. There's something different that he's trying to get us to see. He says, for your father knows the things you have need of, before you ask him. He's basically saying, Jesus is saying, y'all, it's about the relationship. It's about the intimacy with him. In verse nine, in this manner, therefore pray, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debtors as we forgive our debtors, debts as we forget our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, let me tell you something about this prayer. Jesus showed us the example of praying specifically in what we call the Lord's Prayer. That's what this is. It is a model prayer. It's not the prayer. You, you, you know what I'm saying? And, and please, I, I don't mean any disrespect with any of you, if, but your prayer life, it's okay to repeat the very words that Jesus said, pray like this, not a problem. It's right there, not a problem. But he's in, he wants something deeper than that. He wants that to be a personalized prayer. He wants that to be a heart's cry. He doesn't want you just necessarily repeating. Jesus is basically, you know what I see him doing? He's given us an outline. He's given us the, the, the how-tos of prayer. And he's saying it looks like this and, and it may take this flavor and it may take that. And that's the reason it kind of leads to where I want to go this morning. But before we look at the, the parts of the prayer, I want us to look at three blessings of prayer. Number one, our relationship with Jesus is enlarged and deepened when we spend time with him in prayer. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. 
Some of you have talked to me about what God has shown you in your prayer life. There's some of you who've come and basically said, I, I don't understand. It doesn't seem like God's answering this particular prayer. Can you help me pray through this? Or can you help me think through this? And, and, and I get that. But the key is you're still crying out. There's an there's a intimacy that seems to be building there. Secondly, when we begin to see our lives from God's perspective and his desires for us, that is a blessing of prayer. Some of you say, I don't know about that. I kind of have my own agenda with life. When I go to prayer, sometimes I'm told my agenda's wrong. I like my agenda. <laughs> but you know something? There's nothing like doing it God's way. And we're going to talk more about what that looks like in just a moment. How about this? The blessings of prayer, the pressures of life begin to dissipate and we experience peace with God. How many of you have pressure from life right now? Well, that's, a, that's a nice way of saying it, isn't it? And he's basically saying prayer has the benefit that when we take those things to him in an intimate format, in a way that we can share our heart and know that there's a loving God on the other end of that prayer, that the worries of this world have the ability to dissipate because we know we're calling on one who loves us. We're talking on one that we're talking to one that we've learned to trust over the years. So we see the blessings of prayer. But let's break down this, this Lord's Prayer. Let's break down what Jesus seems to be talking about here in Matthew chapter six. There's four acts of devotional praying. And uh, someone asked me before, uh, when they saw the outline, they said, uh, is this original to you? Absolutely not. This is something that goes way back. This is something I learned many, many years ago in a, a discipleship format of how to pray. And, uh, and, and it has. It's really good. It's a good guide. And it, it comes straight out of what we believe uh, uh, Jesus is saying here. The first thing of this, when it comes to ACTS, is the acronym for ACTS, we have adoration. How do we need to begin prayer? By realizing who we're talking to. And that comes, when it comes to a loving God, an all-powerful God, it's a form of adoration. Matthew chapter six, verse nine, in this manner, therefore pray, our Father in heaven, how be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is a picture of adoration. Now, Richard Foster in his book on prayer says this about prayer. Look at the quote here. Prayer is the human response to the perpetual outpouring of love by which God lays siege to every soul. Our response to God's love is adoration. Adoration is a spontaneous yearning of one's heart to worship, honor, magnify, and bless God. Now, I want you to think about the way we, in most churches, put their gatherings together. How do, we, how do we want you to come in? We want you to come in here singing, right? Some of you, let's just, let's just admit it. Some of you come in here with poor attitudes. How many of you want to confess that right now? Yeah, some of us come in here with poor attitudes. Come up, some of us come in here and, and we're thinking maybe a little too highly of ourselves or maybe we just had the blowout with the kids or the wife or the husband and, and we walk in here and all of a sudden it's like, ugh, I'm here. You know what I'm talking about? And you walk through the door and what are we trying to do through song? We're trying to direct your attention 
to the one that needs to be adored in the room. Get your eyes off yourself. Get your eyes off the things of this world. Get your eyes on him because we know, we know when we, that's your only hope sitting here. And all of a sudden you're sitting there and you're lifting up song. I don't know about you. I've come in here. I came in here this morning. I told the people up in the sound booth. I said, why is it I come in here this morning? I'm ready to take a nap. That's not a good sign. <laughs> you, you ever felt that way? Had something big to do? Just be nice to go curl up in the corner somewhere and take a nap, you know? So you know what? I had the, the worship this morning. Sure did help that it was my daughter-in-law singing. That helps a lot, I'll be honest with you. But just something that just started stirring and it's like, I think I can do this. He's worthy of my attempts to share his word. Adoration. Look at your outline. Adoration sets the tone for the entire prayer. Acknowledging who you're talking to. Psalms 9, 1 and 2. I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will tell of all your marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing to your name, O Most High. See, the Psalms are beautiful for setting the tone. Some of you, I've heard you talk about it. Uh, some of you listen to praise music when you go into your time in your devotional life. I think that's a great way of doing it. Uh, some of you begin to write. I've talked to some of you and you begin to write some things about what's going on in your life. And, and all of a sudden things start coming together and then you turn your attention to God and acknowledge him. Great way of doing this. Listen to this, adoration gets us out of the way. Basically, when we turn to adoration, we're getting off our agenda. We're turning our attention away from our agenda, and we're turning our attention to an all-loving, all-knowing God that we can trust. You, you see what I'm saying? And we're getting the attention off ourselves. Uh, we slow down to realize who we're addressing. Therefore, we must focus our attention on him. How many of you would agree that it's easier said than done? Yeah. You ever dealt with a racing mind? You, you ever done that? That's tough, isn't it? You, you ever carried your cell phone in there in your prayer closet and all of a sudden message comes in? Isn't it amazing how we, this phone tells us exactly what to do? Isn't it amazing? Noise goes off on the phone. <laughs> People break their necks. They hurt themselves trying to get to their phone. Have you ever thought about this? Hold on, God. Just one moment. Need to see what's going on with the phone. <laughs> Sales call. That's all right. Let's get back to what we were doing. <laughs> Did your phone just go off? Just want you to know, Michael Ledford behind you is pointing at you. It was you. <laughs> Quint lives three doors down from me. We staged this this morning. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm going to step on your toes this morning, but how many of you have ever been in a conversation with someone? The phone goes off and they drop you for the phone, I want to just make you mad. 
Didn't you do it to someone else? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's amazing. I was like, I'm sitting here having a conversation with you. A tweet goes off and you're like, oh, you know. Imagine God. Hold on, God. Be right with you. Adoration reminds us of God's identity and desire. God, you're faithful, you're righteous, you're just, you're merciful. I know some people that to tame their racing mind, they will begin with the alphabet. I've done this. It really helped me when I found out about it. And A for uh, adoration towards God. B, uh, I'm so blessed because God's in my life. You see what I'm saying? Just going down the alphabet, just throwing things out. Adoration purifies the one who is praying. It brings into focus where we are and where God is. It's amazing when you, when you look at God as the way he's intended to be looked at, the way he's brought to us in scripture, the way he should be looked at, and you begin to look at him, what happens to you? He gets bigger and you get what? Smaller. And when you walk away from prayer and that's where you are, you have truly met with God. I'm just here to say if I'm still getting up out of my, out of my closet or off, um, off my knees in prayer and I, I start marching out and I think, well, I'll bring this back up tomorrow and we'll see where this is going. About fail on that one. <laughs> Next, God is worthy of adoration. How does one adore God? Psalm 18, here it is. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my, my God, my strength in whom I will trust. Man, you talk about just laying it at his feet. When you get up there and talk about how great he is and how much you trust him and how you've built this experience and intimacy with him in a way that you can trust him with your life. And then all of a sudden you, you get something, get sideways about something in your prayer life. That's kind of hard to do to go from there to getting sideways, isn't it? just acknowledging who he is. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from my enemies. David was known after a man of, as a man of God's own heart, after a man of God's own heart. Let me ask you a question. Is he God's man because he had these terrible sins uh, in his life? Is, is he God's man because he killed a bear, killed Goliath, he became a hero to the Israelites? No, you know why he was God's man? Because of what I think we see in the Psalms. He had intimacy with the Father. He had intimacy with the Father when things were going well. Look at some of the Psalms. He had intimacy in the Father when he felt like his whole world was caving in. He had intimacy with the Father when he did wrong and was willing to deal with it and, and, and felt dirty and filthy before the Father and he was begging and crying out for God to do a work in his life. That's why I believe he was a man after God's own heart. There was an intimacy that was there. Adoration. Then we have confession. This is the one we all love, isn't it? Matthew 12, 6, 12. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Many people would say this is probably the most neglected area of prayer today. Listen to 1 John 1, 9. Many of you know it by heart. If we confess our sins, what does the word confess mean? It means to come into agreement with. 
It means calling something the same thing. That means you and God coming together saying, yes, this shouldn't be here. Yes, this was wrong. Yes, this needs to be corrected. And you're agreeing with him. What happens when we do that? Well, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. How many of you like that part of the deal? Yeah. And cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, if that's the case, confession should be, look on your outline, spontaneous. Do you know how sometimes I know I've met with God is, is, is that whole idea of him becoming larger, me becoming smaller. But not only that, where God kind of gives me a word in my own heart and says, this, ain't, this is not right. Let's deal with this, okay? I mean, I mean face it, when we, go to, when we go to God in prayer, how do we conduct our time together? We normally bring the agenda, don't we? Have you ever just let God have the agenda? Just sit there before him. Maybe your adoration is out there in front of him and maybe, maybe you're just thanking him or whatever. But all of a sudden the confession comes and God says, you know something, this right here, we need, to, we need to adjust this. This attitude over here, this rebellion over here that's in your heart. You're not seeing this over here right. You're not seeing it correctly. Have you ever let him take the agenda and show you some things? That's when you know you met, met with him. How many of you have ever been with God in prayer and you felt him prompt something, he prompts something in your life that needs to be confessed and repented over and you hadn't even thought about that? That's good stuff when that happens. You say, no, it didn't. <laughs> I don't want to deal with that. He's just telling you, we got to deal with this. There's the intimacy. Do you see the intimacy? It should be spontaneous. There's two options when it comes to God bringing something to your heart or to your mind. To confess your wrong will soften your heart and move you in the direction where he is. To, to not confess your wrong hardens your heart and moves you away from where he is. The intimacy is diminished when we say no to God. Let's put it a different way. When we say no to the Lord, Intimacy can become diminished. Next, I want us to look at confession. It should be spontaneous, but it also needs to be specific. How many of you had a season in your life where you said something like this? And Lord, forgive me of all my sins. Amen. Did you really get anywhere with that? Did, how did you commit those sins? Individually, specifically, right? How are we going to correct it? Individually, specifically, right? That's how God wants to handle it. He wants to point it out. You're saying, I just soon forget about it. Let's just throw it under all the coverage. Now, some of you may say, well, does that mean, what do I say? If I don't confess it, does that mean... I don't get the provisions of salvation? Does that mean I'm, I'm on my way to hell? Is that, what, does, what does that really mean? Listen, Jesus, the whole time, when he said the Father already knows what you have need of, he's not just talking about 
requests that you may bring to him and things that you may want. He knows the, the sin that needs to be forgiven too. The sin has been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's not your righteousness gonna get you into heaven. It's the righteousness of Christ. But let me tell you something. When it comes to that sin that needs to be confessed, if you want to be in right fellowship with God right now, that needs to be confessed. That needs to be dealt with. It's a whole different matter. Confession should be spontaneous, should be specific. Next, it should be sincere. Listen, if, you're, if you claim to be a Christian and you're not heartbroken over your sin or at least come to a place of being heartbroken over your sin, I would probably doubt you're saved. Doesn't mean you can't live out there in rebellion for a little while. Yeah, you can. Eventually, though, you've got a God that's going to move, move some things in your life to get your attention to the point he's going to bring you to brokenness. Well, how would you know so much about that? Bam, been there been there. Psalm 51, you know what David did. I don't need to tell you. I mean, he blew it as, as bad as about anybody can blow it. And here's, here's where he is. He gets to a point. He's, he quit denying it. He quit putting, sweeping it under the rug. The prophet Nathan has come to him and said, David, you messed up. You're not right with God right now. Something needs to be done. When he finally got to that point, let me let, me let you in on what it sounded like when he got to that point. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitudes of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgression and my sin. You know what he said? It's always before me. I can't get away from it. The conviction that you're bringing to my life is closing in. I like this. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. Uriah may have been standing around saying, hey, what about me? You killed me. <laughs> but you know, David did have the proper perspective. All sin, listen, is directed towards God initially. I mean, that, that's where he's the one that's going to judge it. It's all directed towards him. It may be done to another, but it's directed towards him. He, he says that. Skip down to verse 10. Listen to what he's pleading for. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. How in the world would he know anything about a clean heart? Because he once had one. He knew the joy of his salvation. He knew what it was right to be in right standing with God. He knew what it was all about. Bring it back. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. What does that imply? That he felt like he was cast away from his presence. You ever been there? Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, which was the salvation he, got, he received. And uphold me by your generous spirit. And then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. It's almost like he's making deals with God. He's got God create all this in me. And man, I'll go out and I'll shout it to the rooftops. You, you, hear, you hear what confession should sound like? Benefits of confession. A conscience is cleared. What does that mean? It means I'm not playing games anymore. I can experience joy and peace once again. 
I have back the joy of my salvation. How about this one? Forgiveness is given. Feel forgiven. You can pray freely. No more walls of isolation, no more doubt. You can see God once again working in your life. How many of you have been married to the same person so long that all you've got to do is walk into the room and you know where you stand with them? <laughs> Ooh, you got hit for that one, didn't you? I, I mean, I've been married 37 years. I can walk in the house and know if I'm in trouble. Bam. What's wrong? Nothing. <laughs> Have you ever been so intimate with God that you can sense that with him? You say, well, God, he said he'd never turn his back on me. He said, no, he's never turned his back on, on you, but you've turned your back on him. And what you're feeling is what David felt. When he's like, you know, bring the present, bring your presence back. God never left. David did. You did. I did. Pray freely. When God doesn't answer my prayer, could mean you're not right with him, or it could be you're not seeing things from his perspective. We'll talk more about that if I can get to it. The third part of your prayer, Thanksgiving. A-C-T, adoration, confession, thanksgiving. Matthew 6, 13, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. Some people say, how do you get thankful for that? Well, you're thankful that God is able to orchestrate his kingdom with you and for you. There's so much of his kingdom. Now, this may blow your mind because we gotta get away from this me-centered idea of who we are, but it, this may blow your mind, but his kingdom includes you. You're a part of the kingdom. You're a part of the work. You're a part of what he's orchestrating. You're a part of that. And he's basically saying we can thank him for that. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now look here, three blessings to thank God for. Number one, spiritual. That can be your salvation, the forgiveness that's been given to you, grace, mercy, a closeness with him. The fact that because you have a relationship with him now, you have wisdom and discernment. How many of you look at some of the votes that are going on right now in our nation and just shake your head? It's like, how did we ever get here? No wisdom, no discernment. That's how we got there. Relational, three blessings, the closeness that you can have with others. I mean, there's so many different ways we can thank God. Material, things you've been blessed with. Just thanking him. Fourthly, supplication, which is really request. Matthew 6, 11, give us this day our daily bread. Skip down to verse 13. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Philippians 4, 6, in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. James 4, 2, you do not have because you do not ask. Now, that is in the context of wisdom there, but it does seem to imply. So what does this mean? Does this mean that everything I ask for, will, for of him will be given? Kind of, kind of. It has everything to do with how you begin the prayer. When you acknowledge him, when you see him for who he is, who is he? 
a loving God, an all-knowing God, a God we can trust. Okay? All right? So what comes of that? That, that comes that we've placed our life before him. That comes where we're saying, God, I no longer have the agenda of my life. You have the agenda. This is prayer time, but you call the shots. You tell me where we're headed with this. How about prayer? How, how does he answer? Look on your outline. Wrong request. You want to fill that one in? No. <laughs> Remember, our requests are being presented, as I said, to an all-loving, all-powerful, all-knowing God. We can trust him with his judgments. How many of you agree with that? But some of you, let's be honest, some of you are sitting here right now and you're not so sure you can trust him because there's things going on in your, in your life that you don't understand. Things that are being withheld from you right now. Things that are not happening because you want them to happen now, right now. And all this, and you're sitting here today, it's like, uh, I used to think I could trust him. I get that. I've been there. But let me just tell you, always, you, ought, you ought to know this by now. You're always going to come out on the other side knowing that you can trust him. Here's another one. Wrong timing means slow. The thing we must keep in mind is that God's timing is always perfect. We live in a day of instant food. Unless you go through some drive-thrus in this neighborhood. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Not Chick-fil-A. No, sir, buddy. Uh-uh. One-hour photos. One-hour glasses. You can get glasses now an hour. Do you know that? We live in a very impatient society. We expect it now, and we treat God the same way. God had put my request in an hour ago. The pictures are ready now. Wrong you. You need to grow. How many of you know that there's been times where you've asked of God of something and it came later, but it took tremendous growth in your life for it to finally come true? Yep. Request, right request, right timing, right you is go. Go. All right, how did we get there? Here it is. Here's the key. This unlocks it all. Psalms 37. Look here on the screen. Psalms 37, four and five. You need to write this down. This is the one you got to focus on. He says, delight yourself in the Lord. What does the word delight mean? Find joy, find pleasure in him. Find your joy, find your pleasure in him. It's one of those things where, I got to get up in the morning, got to have my quiet time. Just won't feel right if I don't have the quiet time. Life just seems to be easier when there's a quiet time. That's not, that's not pleasure. That's not going with joy. That's not going with anticipation. You see what I'm saying? That's a little different. Delight yourself in the Lord. Living, here's what that means. Living in the reality of who he is, loving, good, and all-knowing. It literally means, the word delight means there's an emotional tie to him. And it says, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. These desires, listen, are born in his heart that you find out about. Because a lot of people use this verse and say, I'm not getting anything. 
Are you delighting in him? Are you discovering? Because really it's a discovery. When you get close to someone like we're talking about here, like the Bible says, it means there's discoveries about who he is, what he wants, what he desires, and what's already in his heart for you, you will discover. That's what it's talking about. And then it goes on, he says, commit your ways to the Lord, also trust him, and he shall bring it to pass. Now, now think about this. Prerequisites for our desires, what are they? Delight, commit, and trust. A little more to it, isn't it? Supplication. I got a great day. Where does the time go? All right, application. Let's look at this. I want, to, I want to teach you something that I think can help you. Uh, I, think, I think if I were to ask everyone in this room who would like to have a better prayer life with God, have more intimacy with him, I think probably 95% of the hands would go up in this room. If we're completely honest, we want more for, you know, we, we know it's what we need. We just, how, how can we get there? I'm trying to help you with that. Four categories of prayer discussed today. Under adoration, do, do some discipline, Okay. List God's characteristics that move you today, okay? So maybe this evening, go and just say, you know, there's some things that God, God, who you are, man, you're just. I saw that today. You're holy. I saw that today. I know you desire me to be holy. I, I, think, I think that came through today. How about this? Under confession, list the sin in your life that God brings to mind. You know what's amazing about confession with God? This has been my experience. It's not necessarily overwhelming. Now, what I mean by that, he doesn't throw them all at you at one time sometimes. Now, one thing can lead to another, and it looks like that. But most of the time, it's not, boom. I mean, it's not. He does. In my personal experience, it's been one, okay, we're going to deal with this, and then we're going to move to this, and then we're going to move to this. And any good counselor would do that. It's amazing how God deals with us. But list the confession. What needs to take place? The confession will always lead to repentance if it's the right kind of confession. Under thanksgiving, list God's blessings in your life. Let's face it, some of you have a little negative spirit in your life. I, I, I've been there. I know. I can speak from experience. You're discontent. Why don't I have this? How come I don't have that? I, I feel like I have every right to have that as much as they do. How come that hadn't worked out for me? Instead of looking at what God has blessed you with. How about this? Under supplication, list your request before God. Put it out there. See what he says. No, slow, grow, go. <laughs> and now I want to close with this. Prayer is the means to intimacy with God. Prayer repairs your relationship with God. So if you're sitting here today and you say, okay, my prayer life is pretty lame. The way you describe vague prayer, that's where I'm at. You gotta take, you, listen, you're building a relationship here. You're not just calling things out. You're building a relationship. That's what it means with prayer. You're building this relationship. And then some of you, maybe it was there at one time, but right now you're not where you used to be. And it may be because you've let other things come in the way of the intimacy God desires for you. Whatever it is, I think you agree something's got to change. Because I don't know about you, 
But when I'm in right standing with him, there is a joy and a peace, even in the midst of some of the worst circumstances. And it can only come from what I just shared with you today. Would you join me in prayer? I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward. Father, we just come to you and we just thank you so much for who you are. And Father, I look around this room and I really do. I think probably at a minimum, 95% of us in this room desire more intimacy with you through prayer. And Father, I think for some of us, it's just a lack of discipline. For some of us, we make no time for it. For others, it's where every time we get there, we're so distracted. We, uh, we don't know how to turn our minds off. We don't. Father, help us to realize that this is a relationship you're desiring with us and that we have to make the investments, Father. You're always there. You're always awaiting us. And Father, I just pray for each one in this room to desire and want to walk intimately with you. Father, I pray for this offering and pray that you'll use as we continue to make you known, Lord, to the world, to this community. Lord, you put a mandate on us as individuals, but you put a mandate on this church, and we want to be faithful in doing what you've called us to do. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.